This episode of the ERRR podcast is brought to you by John Cat Educational. And this month, we're highlighting the newest addition to their Research Ed series, the Research Ed Guide to English as an Additional Language. In this book, editor Hamish Chalmers and contributing authors provide a primer on the key questions that teachers and researchers have about education of children learning English as an additional language. From the general implications of teaching children in a language that many are still in the process of learning to the specifics of EAL-friendly pedagogy. It includes chapters on the myths and misconceptions in bilingual language development, principles for planning an EAL-aware curriculum, spoken English for EAL learners, reading for EAL learners, and whether or not mother tongue should be used in EAL instruction. So if you're keen for more insights into the teaching of EAL, why not check out the Research Ed Guide to English as an Additional Language. And with a special code ERRR30, you can get 30% off all books via the John Cat website. That's any John Cat book, including my two books, Cognitive Load Theory in Action or Tools for Teachers. Again, that code for 30% off is ERRR30. This episode of the ERRR podcast is also brought to you by Catalyst, a project pioneered by Catholic education in the Archdiocese of Canberra and Goulburn. Catalyst is an evidence-based educational project that's working directly in schools and with teachers across the ACT and parts of New South Wales. Catalyst has its genesis in this podcast and is a structured and strategic approach to bringing the science of reading and the science of learning to life in more than a thousand classrooms. It's drawing on both local and international expertise, including several guests from the ERRR podcast, to realize the bold vision of transforming students' lives through learning by developing excellent teachers and leaders. If you'd like to find out more about opportunities at the Catalyst Project and Catholic education in Canberra, including the professional development that they're running, the way that they are engaging Australian and world leaders in evidence-based education, and even to explore employment opportunities, just click on the Catalyst logo or follow the link in the show notes. What truly matters is teachers' expertise. The most important tip for new teachers is to set out your boundaries. 44% of jobs will be automated. It reinforces cycles of disadvantage. Hello listeners and lovers of learning and welcome to episode 69 of the Education Research Reading Room, the podcast that brings you into the discussion with inspiring educators and education researchers. I'm Ollie Lovell and it's a pleasure to be your host in the ERRR. I'll start today by acknowledging the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation on whose lands the intro and outro of this podcast was recorded. Pay respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that colonisation and dispossession are both ongoing processes. Today we're speaking with Andy Sprakes. Andy was the head teacher of Camps Mount Academy for eight years and deputy head for four years prior to that. During his time there, Andy led Camps Mount out of a tragic fire disaster and oversaw the full transition from the rebuilding of the school to its achieving record results at GCSE and A-levels shortly thereafter. Following his work at Camps Mount, Andy heard from his inspired co-conspirator, Gwyn Harry, who called breathlessly from a visit to High Tech High in San Diego. In that call, Gwyn famously told Andy that he had just seen a school that is not part of the jigsaw, but is the jigsaw. And Andy and Gwyn have since gone on to found the hugely successful XP school about which we're speaking today and which serves the young people and families of Doncaster. XP is a phenomenal school, and that's why I really wanted to visit it during my recent visit to the UK. 
I took a train up from Brighton with my good friend James Mannion and we spent two days at XP seeing lessons in action, meeting students and teachers and just generally being inspired by the phenomenal culture that's been built within this school. XP is something between five and ten times oversubscribed has founded its own trust and has two high schools and a number of primary schools now following the XP model. And it's achieved amazing results at the same time as recording almost zero exclusions and allocating massive portions of school time to building a sense of community and running project-based learning expeditions. If you're keen to hear some of my personal reflections on XP, as well as the other two schools that I visited during my trip, Michaela Community School and the Self-Managed Learning College, I've just released a two and a half hour podcast to all listeners who support the ERRR through Patreon. This Patreon-only podcast provides behind-the-scenes impressions and stories of what I saw and what I thought during my school visits in the UK. You can access that recording at patreon.com forward slash E-R-R-R. That's patreon.com forward slash E-R-R-R. If you're keen to never miss the podcast, blog post, or other exciting educational announcement, then be sure to jump onto ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe to make sure that you get all the updates from me about teaching and learning in my weekly email. That web address again is ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe for a weekly update on all things teaching and learning from me. Now, without further ado, let's jump straight into episode 69 of the ERRR podcast with Andy Sprakes. Andy Sprakes, welcome to the Education Research Reading Room. It's great to be here. Andy, the first question we usually start with in the ERRR is, what do you believe should be the purpose of school-based education? Okay, for for us at XP, we have a a, a three-dimensional view of the purpose of education. So we want our kids to grow their characters. So we really invest in developing strong habits of work and learning that are going to serve the kids well when they leave school. So we invest a lot of time and a lot of energy on developing that aspect. And I can talk about that further as we, as we go through. We also want our kids to create really beautiful work, work that has purpose and authenticity so that when the kids are learning things at XP, they understand that there is a purpose. There's an an imperative for why they're learning things. And finally, we want our kids to do well academically as well. And those three things are really symbiotic. They're interrelative. So when the kids grow their characters, when they grow their confidence, become courageous, they then create beautiful work. And when they create beautiful work that has an impact outside of the school, they then do well academically. So we found it's a kind of virtuous cycle really you know and our, our, our design principle we've done a lot of work over lockdown at uh, looking at our design principles which originally we'd purloined from high tech high who, who have been a, a big influence on the work that we do here and also el education as well in the united states have been a big big influence and still are a big influence on, on what we do but we looked at our design principles so we are a school by design And we refer back to those design principles constantly. And uh, we wanted our design principles to be articulated in one sentence to make it really simple so everybody could remember them and buy into them and critique them and talk about them and all of those things that, that you want. And we came up with, we build our community through activism, leadership and equity, sharing our stories as we go. 
So we really focus on community in our schools. It's really important for us that we focus on community. We are absolutely convinced that we need to make our kids positive agents for social change. And so we relentlessly focus on that as well. We want to develop leadership skills in our kids because they're the ones who are going to make the decisions right in the future. And uh, it's perilous, the future at the moment. And our kids are the ones who will save the world. So that's really important that that we do that. We're developing those skills and they have a social conscience, which obviously links back to the activism part of our design principles. And then equity as well is very, very important to us that we're pursuing equality through equity because the world isn't fair and some kids have disadvantage and need a helping hand more than others. And, you know, kids understand that better than adults, actually. And so that's why we we focus so much of our energy and the foundation for all the work that we do at XP is based around crew, which is a concept that we saw and fell in love with when we visited Yale schools and Ron Berger in the, in the United States. And so we brought that back to the UK and we've implemented that in our schools. And that gives the kids a real idea of their responsibility to others as well as to themselves. So it's not just about a narrow pursuit of examination success. It's about everybody succeeding, about everybody getting to the top of the mountain. And so our our kids are, are really focused on doing that. And through doing that, they become better people. You know, we have an, an expression that we use, which is an EL term again, which is we want our kids to be the best versions of themselves. You know, when kids get stuff wrong and they mess up and, you know, just like adults do. So we kind of work through that with them. And that's really tough when, when, we, when we work through things like that. And the kids are held to account for what they do. But, you know, we, we're all, we also forgive. And we make the kids understand that when you make mistakes, you can put them right. And that through making mistakes, you learn. And so that's okay, you know. And I think as a result of all of those things, we're seeing some quite remarkable things in our schools and our kids are producing work that is wondrous and magical and they are beautiful people. Thanks, Andy. So in terms of the purpose, we're growing character, creating beautiful work, achieving in terms of academics and building community through activism, leadership and equity and all around and supported by this idea of crew, which again comes back to that community. Love that. And sharing stories is really important. Yes. I mean, narrative is a really, a really important aspect of the work we do. So stories are really important. The stories of the kids' lives, their family lives, who they are, who they want to be, what they have achieved, what they can achieve, the beautiful work that they produced and the narrative around how they got to that end point through critique and through modeling and through collaboration. It's that kind of concept of stories being important for for all of humankind, really. You know, if people stop telling stories about us, we cease to exist. And so our legacy is to get the kids to do phenomenal work that becomes part of their narrative. And it goes beyond themselves again because it impacts on the community. I mean, a, a really great example of that is the work that we've just done up at one of our newest schools up in the northeast of 
England at, at Gateshead, which is a town just outside of, of Newcastle. And uh, they've created, on the model of something that we'd done previously down in Doncaster, they've just recently produced a, a book, written a book on what does the community of the Northeast owe to the miners. So we looked through our, we teach through cross-disciplinary learning expeditions. And so our kids learned about, learned science of the area. They went out on field work. So they looked at the geology. Why did, why did we have pits in the Northeast of England? And it was because of the coal under the ground. So we learned about strata and work with experts uh, from the geological society. So, you know, our kids are, are working alongside professionals. So that builds their character and builds their confidence. It means that they have to know things in order to ask really pertinent questions. So we study hard to go out on the field work and to engage with experts who are always blown away by, uh, by the passion of our kids. And obviously it, it, it links into their passion. That's why they're experts in their fields. So uh, they worked on, on the strata and rock, the rock cycle, et cetera, et cetera. They looked at the history of the Industrial Revolution and why uh, the pits came into uh, the UK and how they uh, were part of that particular period of time for, for good and ill. And then we looked at stories from miners who were still living. So we looked at social oral histories so the kids interviewed people who had lived through the miners' strike, for example, who'd worked in the pits, and they told their stories and the kids have captured their stories. So it becomes really powerful knowledge. You know, Michael Young's idea of acquiring knowledge to do something with that in simple terms. And that's what our kids do. So they then, they then took all of that learning and they create, wrote a book. They did artwork as well, so the art fed into that. They did charcoal jurings, they would, wouldn't they, uh, if it's about pits, of miners' lamps and miners' helmets and snap tins and all those, all those kind of things that were associate, associated with the mines. And so they created, and through critique, their artwork is beautiful, artwork that you wouldn't expect an 11-year-old could produce, but they can if they're given the opportunity to do that and the critique and the modelling. And then they've written the book. And now that book is, it was launched actually last week and it was launched at the National Literacy Museum up in Newcastle called Seven Stories who very graciously gave us their top room, which was absolutely beautiful. And our kids presented their work, talked about the publication of the book and presented the book to the experts and the people who they'd worked on and with during the course of the expedition. So... On so many levels, that's really powerful. You know, the kids know that they've produced something that will, you know, that, that one of the ge geologists who'd worked with our kids talked about, you know, books on his bookshelf and how important they were to him, certain books. And he said, and this book is going to go next to those books on my bookshelf. It's that important. The work that you've done here is that important. And that, you know, fills me with deep pride. But more than that, it shows that our kids can, can do stuff that you would never imagine they could do. That book's now for sale in seven stories in their bookshop. I think it's going into Waterstones as well in Newcastle. Hopefully we're, we're trying to get the book in there. 
the book in Doncaster was for sale in Waterstones and it was a it was a high seller in terms of local history because people want to buy it because it's about their lives it's their stories so that that's just a really powerful example of what our kids do and the purpose of why we're, we're doing what we're doing that's great and yeah I'm really keen to emphasize what you've said there in terms of the beauty of the work I was totally blown away walking around XP yesterday by the displays by the work that students are doing. Also in the classroom, there's a real attention to detail in terms of how books are set out and the work that students are doing. It's fantastic. And it's it's interesting building upon what you were saying about purpose of school-based education. And I kind of summarized that and you said, oh, and don't forget the narrative. Or oh, it's it's really important, the narrative. And and really it's it's quite interesting because this place, it's kind of like a the stories within stories. So you're writing the story of XP and you've, you know, written books like How We XP, which, which I loved and things like that. And then within that, each student is writing their own story and they write their story and tell the narrative of their learning through presentations of learning and, and student-led conferences. And then within that, through the expedition, students are actually writing stories of the community at large. So it's this kind of stories within stories that cycles around and, and, and builds character, creates beautiful work and, and builds towards those academics. I mean, that's, that's re- and it, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting that you, you identify that because, you know, we talk about our kids, you know, if we want to make the world a better place, where do you start? You start by looking out the window and doing it in your own community. That's a really good starting point. So we get our kids to look around and they look around the community. How can we make Doncaster, Gateshead, wherever else we, we might have an XP school, how do we make that place better? What can we do to contribute? What service can we give? So we get our kids to look around, but we also get them to look up and out, and we do this through the case studies in expeditions. So they'll then look at how those local issues and problems that need solving are perhaps more global. And so what does the work that they're doing, how does that impact further on that? that kind of global dimension. But we also, just as important, we get the kids to look inwards at themselves. And that's a really important aspect of schooling, in my opinion, is to get the kids to reflect on who they are and what they want to become. But within that context, again, of crew, that the work that we're doing is bigger than ourselves. Uh, and that we have a responsibility to our community, to society in general, but we also have a responsibility to ourselves, you know, and that's, that's another one of the things that we, we focus on a lot, is the kids being okay, you know, being safe. We have a narrative for success. And right at the top of that narrative, interestingly, we call it a narrative for success, is safe. The most important thing is that our kids are safe. They're safe at home, in their community, and in, when they're in, in school. Then they engage, then they attend, then they work hard, work hard, get smart and be kind. And that's our narrative. And then they achieve academically. So interestingly, I think many schools would have, I'm sure most schools would have safe as an absolutely central tenant of, of what they do. But I think academic success would come, would come at next, really. Well, we think that you have to do all of that other stuff before you get academic success for everyone. And uh, like I said, I think we're doing, we're doing some, some great work. So I'm really proud of that. What do you mean with the word attend? Attend is coming to school. But, you know, the safe and engage before that. I know that school, school 
particularly how it's structured in some sections of our society, is not for everyone. But we've, we've created a school that I think everyone can access. You know, that, that's a different kind of discussion, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Uh, something that did strike me, you mentioned the idea of powerful knowledge then. And something that really struck me yesterday was the ability of your school and your curriculum to react to things that's happening in the world. You also mentioned there, you know, if you want to make the better place, the world a better place, first thing is to look out the window and see what Nia's doing. So some of the expeditions that you've done recently, I saw students are reflecting upon the pandemic and they're reflecting upon, you know, the work of the NHS and all the health workers who really had to dig deep during that time and probably are still digging deep. It's just great to see like there's such rich opportunities for learning and engaging with the world. And so many schools just kind of plowed on as if nothing was happening or, you know, just transition to online learning, but nothing, nothing changed in terms of an opportunity to reflect upon what was happening, what it meant for individuals, communities, countries, things like that. So yeah, in terms of powerful knowledge, that's, that idea started to come home to me when I started to see the way that XP reacts to, to these world events and, and community events. It was um, great to see. Yeah, well, we have, we have uh, building on that, we have, we've thought again really deeply about curriculum themes. There seems to be a bit of a mining metaphor coming here, yeah. which is probably appropriate for, for where, where we're from. So we, look, we looked at, you know, that kind of idea of activism, leadership, equity, and the, the, all these things kind of come in threes or fives or sevens, which is there's something, I think, mathematically beautiful about that. And we, we thought deeply about, well, what, what is the purpose of, of our curriculum? What should we be focusing on that's above and beyond just standards and passing exams and those kind of things? And, uh, you know, again, it kind of aligned, aligned with that looking up and out. So the climate emergency is obviously, you know, it's an existential threat. So what are we doing in schools to teach our kids what's happening and have discourse with our kids around that, but not just acquiring knowledge, but actually then doing something with, with that knowledge. So you're right, we do, we do react, but we react in a strategic way because that is a, that's a curriculum theme for us. So on the 14th of July, we've got our, our inaugural climate conference and it's, it's run by and led by our kids. It's their product. And that's come through a STEAM, through a, a science and a maths expedition that, we've, that we're currently running. And the kids are looking at climate and then that, and it links to what they're doing in, in their exams as well. So, you know, you can do these things and then it can help the kids in their exams because they tend to retain and remember things when they're doing active pedagogy. So they're going to run the conference and I've already seen, I've already critiqued the speeches that the kids have shared those with me, which I'm really pleased about and really flattered by that they, and that's what they do. We use, you know, the Google suite of apps. So technology is really important to us, but we do lots of collaborative learning and the kids will share stuff with me for critique. And we've got international guests who are coming to speak at that conference and then there'll be a call to action and, and we'll, uh, We'll establish pledges about what we're going to do in our community that we will hold ourselves to account for and we'll expect others who attend the conference to do the same. So there's real activism there. So the climate emergency is something that we've adapted our curriculum around because that's 
really the most important thing at the moment that we need to learn about. We also found through a lot of the expeditions that we were running that the theme of social justice was running through those as well. So, you know, the world is not a fair place. We can either just accept that or we can do something about it. And so, again, we do things about that. So a really great example of that is an expedition the current year tens did a, a couple of years ago, which was should I stay or should I go? And the kids, the product for that expedition, it was all about migration. And the kids studied Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck and looked at migrant workers and Californian Dust Bowl and, and the, the factors behind people moving, that sometimes it's for work and the push-pull factors of migration, economic migration, et cetera, et cetera. So the kids deeply studied that work. But the product then was, and they also worked with uh, a community group called the Conversation Club, who supported asylum seekers who were coming into Doncaster, who were fleeing, you know, war-torn parts of the world where their lives were in threat, lives of their families were too, and then how they were treated when they came to our country. And the kids found that, you know, whilst we were welcoming, welcoming some migrants and some asylum seekers in that some of the support structures weren't in place and the kids were pretty outraged about that and the product was that they made a film which is you, you can see it on youtube it's called should i stay or should i go and the kids talk about again it's about stories these are stories that deserve to be told the kids spoke to uh, to asylum seekers and they were blown away by the experiences that were shared with them and we premiered the film at CAS, which is a, our local theatre, and parents and other kind of dignitaries attended. But it was really, really important. I mean, Doncaster is an area that has always accepted migrants um, and they've been assimilated into working class communities. But there is also a lot of misunderstanding and fear that arises out of people coming into your communities. And uh, our kids kind of face that and counteracted it, told the stories, humanised the asylum seekers and changed people's views. Without a shadow of a doubt, we talked to parents when they came out, they were saying, I never understood, I didn't realise that these were the kind of horrors that people were facing and that we were doing very little to support them when they came into our country in such desperate straits. So there's a great example of activism through our curriculum. And also that concept of social justice. Until we open our eyes to things, you know, we're perhaps not going to understand other people's difficulties. So, and that's a really, really important thing. And a real, it has real legacy as well, because that's a cultural shift then that you create. And I think that that is making the world a better place. And so that's what we focused on with with those kids. And then the final scene, so we, we... Obviously, climate emergency, social justice, we're looking at that constantly, racism, black history, all those things, women's history, things that have often taken a backseat in curriculums that have been created by white guys, I suppose, is uh, that we also look at diversity and belonging. And that really links into a lot of the work we do in crew. You know, it's okay to be different. In fact, it's a really good thing to be different. So. We really celebrate the individual, kids being themselves and being able to question and challenge in a respectful way, 
and to have intelligent discourse about really difficult subjects. And that it's not always about winning the argument, it's about listening to other points of view. And then either that reinforces your view or it might change your view and we might find common ground. So again, that's a really important thing for us. We're not conformist. We celebrate creativity and independence and individuality, but within that wider context of crew, within that wider context of social responsibility. You know, we want to create the leaders of the future who have those attitudes because unfortunately, at the moment, we have lots of leaders in the world who don't have those attributes and the world is a worse place for that. And so I think that's why we focus on those on those seams. Very rich seams to explore, Andy. I saw you told us yesterday, it was really quite interesting. You talked about how in your first year, five weeks after you'd opened, you held your first kind of parent information evening for prospective parents, yeah. You told us a really interesting story about how you chose to run that. Would you be happy to share that story today? Sure, yeah. I mean, mean, actually, it was was an issue that crept up on us, really, I think. So we'd start, we'd done loads of work to start the school. So this was way back in 2014 and, you know, we'd got the kids in and we were doing our first expedition and the first expedition we're doing, we, we were doing the guiding question was, what makes a successful community? And so the kids were looking at communities and what made communities strong, what, what happened when communities broke down and what, what are the solutions for bringing communities to, together. So the kids were doing some really great work on that. And we were having a, there were only kind of five of us then. And we were sat in a, in a meeting talking about how the expedition was going. And then I suddenly had this kind of like realisation, myself and Gwyn, the wait a minute, we've got to do a parents, we've got to do a prospective parents evening because parents apply and the deadline for applications for secondary school is kind of like mid-October or something. And this was like the last week in September, you know, first week of October. So we're thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And so we, we raised it in uh, when we were having this meeting of staff and uh, we were thinking about how we might structure it. And then Gemma Vero, who was one of our founding teachers, just said, well, why don't we get the kids to do it? You know, that we're constantly talking about growing their character and building independence. So they'll speak best about the school. And uh, we kind of stopped for a second and thought, what a great idea. Yeah, they need to do it. So we went to the kids. We had a community meeting. There were 50 of them then. We said, right, guys, what do you feel about this? And they were like, brilliant. We'd love to do it. So we spent then crew time with the kids prepping for the presentation evening, the induction, the prospective parent meeting. And so our kids worked out all of the activities. The product that we did actually at the end of that was a community meal, which was really interesting. We invited the parents to that, the new parents to that. But the kids, yeah, they sorted out all of the scheduling, all of the sessions. They welcomed new parents. They did the presentation at the start and then they did the tours at the end. And uh, three students who did keynotes. Uh, There was Ray and Theo, I can remember, who were absolutely fantastic at talking about the school and what it meant, what crew meant, how we ran expeditions. And these kids had been doing this for like five weeks, six weeks, but it was in their DNA already. And it was bringing out things in them that we were 
not conscious really that they they had. So no adults spoke that night. So the traditional concept, right, is that it would be an introduction by the head or somebody like that who would talk about the school and its values and expectations and that kind of stuff. But that was all run by the kids. And it's stayed that way ever since. Because why would you go back to something that's okay, but has much less power, in my opinion, than getting the kids to talk about and field questions from parents about the life of the school and how we operated, what we did, the values that we had, the habits of work and learning that we measure and judge character around what happens if something goes wrong. So our kids were talking about our behaviour policy after five weeks and talking about that in, in a restorative sense. So this is what we do. Everybody makes mistakes, but, you know, sometimes we have to spend time out of our community for a little while to reflect on that and, put, and then they have to come up with active pledges to put it right. And this is kind of 11-year, 12-year-old kids talking like adults and fielding questions like that, assessment policy questions as well. So how do you assess at XP? Because they're saying, well, yeah, we have a minimum expectation. And, you know, and they went through that. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I think it was moments like that at the start where we thought, wow, this is, this is something that goes beyond even what we imagined it, it could be. And I'm really pleased to say that, you know, we are constantly amazed and surprised by what, what kids can do and how kids can grow. You know, some kids who find it really difficult to speak in public at first, but then by the time they leave the school, they're confident, fluent speakers. They're able to talk to adults and experts. And, and it's because they've been exposed to it throughout their whole time here. I mean, you mentioned earlier about students leading their own learning through student-led conferences. So we don't have parents' evenings. The students run, run those with their crew leader in attendance and they invite their parents in and they go through their portfolio and they show parents the learning targets that they've mastered. They talk about the learning targets that they've struggled with. They talk through their assessments they've done, through the beautiful work they've created, through products that they've created, the field work, the experts that they've engaged with. And they finish with pledges about where next. And we run that. It's not just student-led conferences, but the kids in at the start of year nine do a passage presentation where they focus on the kind of two and a half years of learning that they've done and how that is now preparing them for their next steps into GCSEs, into public exams. And they do a presentation, which is a pass or fail as well. So there's a rubric for that one. So it's quite tough. And the kids learn about, and there are different things that they're assessed on, the quality of their presentation, the quality of their portfolio, the quality of their reflections and the integrity of those. And, you know, some of the kids fail and they have to redo aspects of it. And they do that again as part of crew. And then we have at the end of their time with us, we have final word. And that's where the kids celebrate their time. And they talk about the guiding question for that is, how have I grown as a person and a learner during my time at XP? And so they'll focus on character and uh, they're beautiful things to experience. All of, all of those things are very profound but it puts the responsibility and the accountability with the kids. And if they've got purposeful and authentic learning that they're doing, they rise to it. And uh, like I said before, they create beautiful things and then that grows their character and then they get better grades. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, really, and one that is quite beautiful to behold, really. 
That's great, Andy. And it is a phenomenal kind of story how after only five weeks, students knew enough about the school and were confident enough that they could really give a bit of an overview. I'm keen for us to kind of do a bit of a bit more of a quick fire thing for the next maybe half an hour to give listeners, because I think we've done a really good job of kind of painting. I mean, we have gone into some detail in terms of what some of the expeditions have looked like and things like that and painting a clear picture of the kind of philosophy for the school, the power of narratives within it, the importance of growing in character, community, things like that. I'd love to get into a little bit of the kind of procedural nitty gritty now and cover maybe, you know, five different things over maybe the next half hour. So Kinder, well, five or six, probably five or six questions in the next half, half hour. So if we can allocate maybe five minutes yeah, sure. to each of those things, and I might just use a timer to keep us on track, that'd be great. The first question is, is one thing you said yesterday was, you know, you went to high tech high, you went to EL schools and, and saw Ron Berger's work and things like that in the States, and you took the best of both. In five minutes, could you give us a sense of what you took from each organization? Yeah. Okay, so the provenance of the schools really comes from work in the United States, from High Tech High and from EL education. What we took from High Tech High was their focus on beautiful work and projects and connecting with the world. That really struck me and the way that the kids were able to, through their work, metacognate their their learning, talk about learning to learn, and, and they remembered that. And we also, as I think I've said before, we really like that idea of a school by design, those design principles that were that were kind of unshakable that you went back to. And you said, well, does that link to a design principle? No, well, stop doing it then. Yes, let's keep doing it, but let's iterate it. So I think they were, for me, and Gwyn might say, uh, who co-founded the school with, with me, might say different things, but I think he would be, he'd probably focus on design principles first, I think. Uh, but for me, it was beautiful. It was that beautiful work and the kids being able to metacognate and the design principles uh, were really important. I think from EL, what EL gave us, it was a standards-based curriculum. And so in a UK context, because we have a quite a rigorous accountability system in, in the UK, we have a, an inspectorate that come and judge your school based on certain criteria. So the standards-based curriculum we found really attracted us, but also, you know, some of the great work they'd done around values and leaders of their own learning, students taking responsibility for their own learning expeditions, so that cross-disciplinary aspect of their teaching, the way that they organise that learning is really remarkable through guiding. So we, we, we took their, we call it the anatomy for an expedition, and it's essentially EL. It's EL's anatomy, really. And we've adapted it for a UK context, but a guiding question, case studies, working with experts, working in the field purposefully and creating a product that has an impact on the wider community. So I think from EL, we, we've taken a lot of that work and then brought those two things together and fused them and made it kind of UK centric, uh, you know, about place. And we've kind of created XP from that. So it's a little bit of a hybrid really, but we owe everything that we've done to those two institutions really. And we're deeply grateful for the work that they did previously 
so that we could do this great work with our kids. Mm, that's great. And it's still in this provenance idea. What about crew? Because you didn't mention crew in either of coming from either of them. So where did crew, the idea of crew come crew, from? Crew, well, absolutely. And cr- crew, ironically, is the most important thing that we do. And that came from EL. And we did, we've developed that from that point, really. So, uh, you know, crew is, we say, we've, we have a saying here, if you get crew right, you get everything right. So we start with crew. When the kids come to us, their first day that they come to us, they come from across Doncaster or from across Gateshead and Newcastle. So often kids come from schools that they're the only kid from their primary school. And the first thing we do is we get on a bus and we go away to Aberdovey or to Allswater and we work at an outward bound centre and we have a guiding question, which is what is crew? And so the kids work together in groups 12 or 13 with their crew leader and an instructor and they have shared experiences. They are challenged Uh, stretched out of their comfort zones. But what happens is through focusing on our character traits and our habits of work and learning, the kids get an idea of we're stronger together and they get an idea of equity. Some kids struggle at walking up a mountain, but some kids don't. And so they help each other, they carry each other's bags. Some kids get homesick, others don't. And 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 sometimes it's the kid who's good at walking up the mountain who gets homesick. And so they're supported them by their crew. So when they come back into school after that first week, we don't have any issues with friendship groups or kids not liking the transition from primary to secondary. We've dealt with that in that first week and the foundation of our culture starts there. Dear listeners, if you're finding this discussion with Andy Sprake stimulating and you'd like to be able to easily refer back to you and remember some of the key and most valuable takeaways from our discussion, why not consider becoming a patron of the ERRR podcast? Patrons are listeners who contribute a monthly donation to support the ongoing production of the show and, in return, receive a summary each month of the key takeaways from the episode. Patrons also receive access to an interactive transcript of each episode, meaning that if you'd like to listen back to a specific part of the episode, you can simply do a word search for a key term, then be taken directly to the spot within the podcast and listen back at the convenient click of a button. This month's summary will include my main insights from my visit to XP, what it is that I think they do that makes their work so successful and impactful, and signing up now will also give you access to the Patreon-only podcast that I released just last month, in which James Mannion interviews me on my impressions of XP, Michaela Community School, and the Self-Managed Learning College. You can now choose from three different levels of support on Patreon at the base level, and for the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can get an interactive transcript and the monthly podcast summary. At higher levels, you can get access to Patreon-only podcast feed with behind-the-scenes and additional audio content, clip requests for segments of the podcast that you can use personally or within your professional development, and even the opportunity for a one-on-one call with me to talk about teaching and learning. So if you'd like an actionable summary of this episode of the ERRR podcast, to explore additional benefits, and if you'd like to support the ongoing production of the show, simply go to patreon.com forward slash ERRR to sign up to support the show for as little as the price of a cup of coffee per month. That's patreon.com forward slash ERRR to support the show and help to keep it sustainable for the long term. Now, back to this episode of the ERRR podcast with Andy Sprakes. It's so powerful. I just want to build on this kind of this crew idea for the next five minutes or so. So to summarize what I've seen in terms of crew, my understanding, and, and we can kind of 
color it based upon that. Um, so students come in, the first thing they do, as you mentioned, they do this outward bound thing, which is a multi-day outdoor experience. And this is really the first bonding with their crew leader who they then have for the whole five years yep. that they're at the school. Sometimes, sometimes that changes. Yeah, but ideally. That, ideally that is the case. And um, f- that was one of the first things that really made a lot of sense to me about XP because last year I went on my first outdoor ed trip with a group of year nine students. It was nine days. There was like 15 of them. And the bonds that were created between the students and between myself and the students was, it actually blew my mind and it, and it helped me to see students differently. It was a very formative experience for me as a teacher. Unfortunately, I have gone on to not teach any of those students. So in many ways, it was a a relational investment that really hasn't been capitalized on. But when I heard about that as a first point, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Also of note, you do this with your teachers as well. When you onboard your teachers, rather than having a couple of days of orientation at the start, you actually take them out at former crew with the new staff and run them through the same practices that you do with students. Absolutely phenomenal. Then Every day starts with 45 minutes of crew, and in that you do different activities like reflection. Um, you might be prepping for something, uh, but the crew I saw yesterday was a check-in, essentially like how are you feeling. There was you know 12 emojis on the board. They have to pick one, say why, and and you know just that emotional intelligence stuff. Listen to each other, and then you do this community meeting and also a crew meeting on a Friday, which goes for a couple of hours actually, all about appreciations stands and what have I missed? Apologies. And apologies. Right. So there's this whole structure where a lot of schools might be surprised by how much time is actually allocated to these crews, but really they form this kind of supportive network for all students so that every student has an adult within the school who's completely focused upon their well-being as well as their learning, but they've also got a bunch of their classmates who are just in their corner. Probably the thing that makes that might be the newest to listeners from all that is this idea of Fridays, you know, apologies, stands and appreciations. Did you want to talk a little bit about what actually happens there? How does that work? Yeah, sure. So we, we call that a community meeting and it's really essentially student voice and the vehicle for student voice. You know, I, I've led community meetings and so we might start with a focus, with a celebration on something that's happened in the week or uh, there might be some individual success. Somebody's done something out of school that's really amazing. We want to share that with the community. Or we might have a focus on our habits of work, work and learning. So we might be looking at, it might be being kind. Maybe we've had one or two instances of kids not being kind to each other. So we'll reboot and we'll talk about the importance of kindness and the purpose of the community meeting. So it can start in a variety of different ways, but the majority of the meeting and everybody is included in that. So if you're a visitor at the school, you come to our community meeting, so you can't get out of it, you know, because that's the most important thing that's happening at that time. So visitors are there if they're in school, all of the kids, all of the staff, and we go through each crew and we'll ask if there are any apologies or any appreciations or stands, and then the kids pretty much run it from there. Typically, we have many more appreciations than we do apologies. The kids want to appreciate each other and they want to appreciate staff. And when you get an appreciation, I mean, I've had some appreciations in the, in the past and sometimes they really knock the wind out of you. You know, they, there are things that you didn't even know that you'd done that somebody's saying, I want to appreciate you for that because it made a difference to my day or, or and there can be really small things, 
but very, very important. And again, that's just a way that we cultivate culture, really, in our schools. And then students will, as well, voluntarily, so nobody's forced into doing this, but they may apologise for, thing, for things that they've done which are counterculture. So they might have been disruptive in a session or they might have been unkind to somebody. And that'll have been dealt with and those relationships will have been restored. But it gives the kids an opportunity to actually say that publicly and say, look, you know, I'm really sorry. I apologise for my behaviour. They don't always go into detail about it. I just might say, talking very general terms about being unkind. That you know, and what I would do in response to that would be, and has that been sorted? Is, is everything? Are we are we back on track? That's not like you. You're normally really kind. You know, but we all make mistakes. But you've, that's been fixed. And you know, the kids will say yes, it has. If it hasn't, then that's something that we'll pick up. But, you know, we'll talk about the kids apologising in terms of courage. You know, it takes a lot sometimes to publicly say, I messed up, I got that wrong. We celebrate the kids doing that and taking ownership. But the most important thing from that is that the kids then actively pledge to do something. So they don't just say, oh, I apologise and I'm not going to do it again because words are cheap. What they, they actually say what they are going to do. So if it's related to kindness, it will be... And, uh, you know, over the course of the next few weeks until the end of term, I'm really going to focus on going out of my way to be kind, to show kindness to people, to give small acts of kindness. And that might be opening doors, handing out resources. It might be smiling at people. It might be saying hello to, to perhaps people who they don't normally say hello to. And then what their crew will do is we'll come back to that pledge in the community meeting. So I've asked Cruz, right, you're accountable for Billy. So I'm going to come back to that next week. I'll come back to it the next week and say, ah, Crew Bronte. So what, how's Billy been doing? He pledged last week to be, and the kids will then say, usually it is, he's been amazing or she's been amazing. They've shown loads of acts of kindness, for example, for example. And then the kid who's made that mistake suddenly feels, wow. This is really important. This matters. I feel like a rock star now. So I made a mistake, but I've put it right. So that's very powerful. And then we also have making stands as well. So the kids will, and they do this, and it's based against our character traits. So respect, courage, craftsmanship and quality, integrity, and above all, compassion, or against our howls of working hard, getting smart and being kind. So the kids will say, I want to make a stand for... So language is really important in our culture. So it's not, I want to make a stand against Billy because he's been unkind. That's not helpful. But the kids will say, I want to make a stand for respect. I've noticed that some people are dropping litter or the toilets are in a mess. And then they'll articulate why that's not fair. And then what we get is we have lots of non-verbal signals and the kids will agree. They'll put their hands together in... British Sign Language, I agree with that. And you can see the kids do it, really powerful. And then we might talk about, well, has anybody got the courage to admit that they've made a mess of the toilets? Or why has that happened? You know, isn't that, we're stewards of our community. So again, it just gives you the opportunity to talk about those key central concepts and practices that make our culture so rich and so strong. 
And we've had loads of examples of that. And one great example I can remember from a few years ago was, again, we don't, it was autumn term, so the kids had only been here for a, for a few weeks. And uh, the kids came in and sat down. I was running the community meeting. And I said, OK, any, any apologies, appreciations or stands? And there was a little girl in year seven. So she's kind of, again, only kind of five, six weeks into her time at XP. And uh, she said, uh, I'd like to make a stand. I said, oh, OK, Mary, what, what's your stand? She said, well, I'd like to make a stand for respect because when we were coming into school this morning, one of the big boys, I think he might be in year 10 or year 11, he threw his tic-tac box at a, at a bin, but it hit the bin and it came out and he didn't pick it up. And so I started to say, I totally support that stand. That's not showing... And she went, oh, no, no, wait a minute, Mrs. Rose, that's, that's not it. I went, oh, I apologise. I'll continue. And she said, the worst bit is that rather than picking it up, what he did was he trod on it and smashed it. So it's made a, a real mess. And I don't think that we should, we should be doing that. We should be showing respect for our school and our environment. So this is manna from heaven, you know. This is really sweating the small stuff, right? Our school is, has virtually no litter, you'll, uh, as you've seen. I actually you know. checked under the desks for gum, and there, there's a little bit, but very little compared to any other school. We'll sweat that. Yeah. Now. That'll be, right, we've had a visitor and they found some gum, you know, and that'll be, you know, a big deal. And that's important, isn't it, to do that, to, to sweat that small stuff. And anyway, so... I said, right, Mary, I completely support your stand. It's really important that we protect our school, that we're stewards for our school, because it's not just that, you know, and then we talk about legacy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's come from Mary, right, a year seven kid. Not from me saying, don't drop litter to the kids as like some kind of authoritarian figure or whatever. That's come from within. That's the imperative within rather the command from above. And so what, what then happened was, it'd be really interesting to see if whoever did that has the, and I saw on the balcony, Alex, who was in year 11, put his hand up. So I knew it was Alex, right? And so I said, it'd be really, but I carried on. It'd be really interesting to see if, you know, somebody would take responsibility for that. I said, oh, Alex, yeah, did you, did you want to say something? And he said, I'd like to apologise to Mary in year seven and to the school community. It was me who threw the tic-tac box at the lid and then trod on it. It was totally out of character and totally against what we do here as, in, in, as our culture. So I pledge that I will pick litter. I'll, I'll do any kind of stewardship you want for the next week to put this right if you feel that that's, if that's appropriate. And it was like, well, thank you, Alex, for showing the courage. And yes... We'll accept your pledge. Mary, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. That's empowerment, right? On lots of different levels. And that's, that's what, what happens in community meetings. Again, something that I never believed kids would do and they do it. That's phenomenal. And I mean, in terms of being an adult, being mature, being grown up, like this is some of the stuff that adults have the most trouble with, you know? Absolutely. Acknowledging when they're wrong, apologising, actually standing up for what they believe in. And by giving students the opportunity to do this week in, week out and building your whole culture around it, it's just phenomenal. And yeah, like it just permeates the school as, as someone who spent the whole of yesterday on your campus. And I'll also mention like, this is the only school I've ever visited where you've said, 
I'll just go into any class, literally go into any class. So I spent <laughs> the better part of yesterday afternoon just walking around and seeing every teacher I possibly could and every class I possibly could. And that is a, a commitment to transparency and openness uh, that I haven't seen anywhere else. Uh, it meant that I got to see some of your the best teaching I've ever seen. It meant I got to see some, you know, pretty standard teaching yeah. as well um, and, some, and op- identify some opportunities for improvement. But just that commitment to authenticity is awesome. Well, thank you. And that is, and that's purposeful because we want critique and we want pushback. We want to improve. We want to get better. I mean, when we have visitors in school that we use that as a way to raise the bar. We've got people coming from Australia to visit us, from India to visit us who were in yesterday as well, from Bangalore. So what the work we're doing has great importance and value. And and so you have to be the stewards for that. And the kids do really rise to that as well. And and absolutely, it is transparent. Do our kids mess up sometimes? Of course they do. Do our teachers mess up? Do I mess up? Absolutely, of course I do. Uh, And of course we do. But it's about what we do with that learning, isn't it? About how we then use that to improve and make ourselves better and better people and better educators, better learners. And uh, that's absolutely why, why we do that. And thank you for your kind words. Yeah, no worries. Can you talk about expeditions? So one very quick question is how many expeditions occur per year? There are three, sometimes four, depending on the co-construction of the curriculum, but pretty much it's three. Okay. That's the first thing. And and something I kind of want to highlight is obviously these expeditions are incredibly significant work that can connect the school to the community, the school with each other and, and the community amongst itself as well. But also for listeners, like what happens in the everyday classroom here isn't supremely different from what happens in a lot of schools in terms of when I was going around I was seeing English classes teaching Macbeth. I was seeing geography classes, learning about waterfalls and landforms, religious classes or ethics classes looking at celebrations of Christmas, math classes looking at at the commutative property of addition, things like that. So I just, I guess the reason why I want to highlight that is because it's, this isn't some like unreachable ideal, right? We're talking about a few projects per year, a few very significant projects, but really a few projects per year that are very significant for the students in terms of their educational experience, uh, but that also leave space for a standard curriculum to, to run a, a fair bit and for students to still get their GCSEs, be successful in, in standardized tests and things like that. So I, I, I thought it was important to highlight that because a lot of what I'd read about, you know, people hear about expeditionary learning and they're like, oh, I, we don't want to change everything about our whole curriculum, but it's actually like, well, no, this is a additional thing which can add a lot of value for it is a significant investment, especially on the time of the teachers to arrange it, but also not a not a loss of everything else. So it's a kind of a three to four times a year thing, 10 to 12 weeks, it runs over. And I guess that kind of ramps up as it gets closer towards the, the, the deadline. From what I can gather, there's always like a product that's produced. It might be a book, it might be a film. It's always of incredibly high quality. And there's always a very significant emphasis on presenting that and sharing that and that kind making of- Making it public. Making it public with, you know, really reputable members of the community. There's parents, there's the teachers, there's visitors and things like that. 
if a school's listening and they're thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to make a book about the, the impact of mining on our community or, or, or refugees or the pandemic or, or the local railway, some of the things you've done here. People are listening and thinking, but we're not quite sure where to start. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you want to pull out your protocols document that you've recently been putting together in terms of what it, trying to codify yeah, what you do. Yeah, the core practices. The core practices here at XP. What does a school need to do to run their first kind of expedition and be successful about it? Just to clarify, the so we, we have a mix of, we talk here about the genius of the and a lot. And so we have disciplinary integrity, so integrity to subjects, and we have expeditionary integrity and the relationship between those two. So I think the standout difference perhaps from other schools is that that lesson or that session rather that you saw around, you know, where water and waterfalls in that, that looked at face value very much like a geography session and it would be a geography session. The discipline of geography is being taught at that. What we do here is we connect that learning to other learning in other disciplines. So the expeditions have an overarching guiding question. And so I think that one, for example, is about, is about floods and about the water cycles. And so the environment, climate emergency is a real high feature of that one. So the humanities in that is very much around the geography disciplines, but at the same time, so simultaneously, students are reading poetry about weather and water. And so they're looking at how that is expressed through poetry and how that links into work, the work that they're doing in those geography sessions, which, which enables you to engage with the kids at an English, an English kind of standards-based approach. You can look at that at the discipline of, you know, analysis of poetry, but it talks to the geography that's being taught at the same time. So again, it's about narrative. So there is a connectivity. So the maths that they're doing will focus on, uh, at that point, they're looking at data collection. So the, the, what maths will do is they'll look at data collection and teach some stats around how you collect data, what you do with that data. So again, the narrative thread runs through all of the learning and that's co-constructed and, and planned. And you're right, there's a final product and... So what the kids do is, because we run our curriculum like that, is they make connections within and between subjects. And what that does, what we found that that does, is that it aids retention of knowledge. So the kids remember things because they've done something with that knowledge and created something with that knowledge. So they remember... I mean, we did a, a, an expedition in year 10, so this is GCSE. So we do expeditions at GCSE, which is a public examination system in the UK. And uh, we, we did the Vikings. It was, it was the depth study, the world depth study for a history component in the exam. But the kids also looked at chemical bonding. They looked at chemistry at the same time. And so we looked at Viking artefacts. And we looked at why is the only thing that's left from the Viking age swords and coins and of course it was the alloys they didn't rot away like wood did so there's not much left is there apart from those things jewelry etc so we looked at that as the kids were learning about vikings and the different 
ages of the Vikings and their influence on Britain and, and their kind of settlement in Britain. The kids looked at the chemical bonding and why it was that they survived. And then they wrote a booklet which had the period of history that their artifact came from. So they aligned it to their learning in history. They looked at chemical bonding of alloys and why that pot of coins had still, still remained into the 21st century. And they did the science bit. And then they also wrote a really beautiful narrative that included a first-person narrative, descriptive narrative, that included the artefact. And they crafted it, it was kind of histori historically accurate. So we worked with experts from the Jorvik Centre in York who kind of critiqued our work and, you know, gave it historical authenticity. And then we went to the Viking Festival in York and the kids sold the booklet and talked to people from the general public about the work that they'd done and why the Viking legacy for the UK was really important. So that's the difference in terms of what we do to probably a lot of other schools in, in the UK. In answer to your question about how other schools can do it, I, th I think it can be done if you're prepared to look collaboratively at how subjects connect together find a common narrative and a theme or a thread that runs through them and get together and work together and decide that you're going to create a product and that you give time for that. But, you know, it, it is, uh, whilst I'd love to say, yeah, it'd be easy to do, I think it is quite a difficult thing to do, but not something that's unachievable. We've done it. So I think if the imperative is there, then you can look at systems and structures and it might be that you have to change those a little bit. And if you do, then again, that, you know, we're not here to really convince people that they should be doing what we're doing. We're just doing really great work and we've created a model that if people want to follow that model, it's there. And that's why you mentioned the core practices that we're putting together at the minute. EL have core practices and we've used their protocols and their practices since day one, but we've decided that we'll put together our own core practices because they are slightly different. Although that we owe a huge debt to EL's work, they are slightly different and they are from a slightly different context. And so for UK schools, that may well help. And we've also done a lot of work around explaining our curriculum, working with the Edge Foundation at the minute, who have been really great supporters of our work to look at how we can share the protocols that we use and how we can share the planning, the anatomy of an expedition and how that might work for even single subjects. So you could do a, and we do sometimes do single subject expeditions. They're not the greatest expeditions because they don't, they don't have that connectivity and contextualization that adds depth to the learning, but they're still pretty cool. If you do a science expedition and the kids create a product and that in and of itself is a brilliant learning experience for the kids if you work with experts and you take the kids out on field work and and then you present the learning at the end and it's real high quality because you're built in the time for for critique you know there's a lot of kind of and I don't know what this is like internationally but there's a lot of kind of worry and concern and fear about covering curriculum you know this kind of idea of well I haven't taught this to the kids and and, and I think there are some educators think that they have to be stood at the front of a room blurting out content and that that somehow is covering the curriculum. 
when 80% of your kids have kind of gone to sleep or something. So they're not listening anyway. So you're just wasting your time, you know? So I think we've got to move away from that. I think accountability structures don't help with that. You know, we've got to move away from that and share more. So everything we've got, we're happy to share it. Like you said before, Ollie, we are, we're transparent, we're open. We don't subscribe to, you know, our worksheet is better than yours and we're going to trademark that and we're going to do or whatever, because that would be disingenuous of us anyway, because we've utilised great work that other people have done to do great work too. So why wouldn't we want to share that with others? And we do. And so that's why, you know, we're happy to work with other schools from in the UK, across the world, to look at how we can learn from each other. And we've got absolutely loads to learn. You know, we're nowhere near where I think we could be. I think sometimes we get really close. I think, well, we're nearly there. But I think that's the nature of schools, isn't it? And the changing nature of schools is that you constantly want to improve and get better and learn from others. And and that's why it's great when visitors come in and give us pushback and feedback around what they've seen or you know, or, or suggestions for what we might do. We, we absolutely love that. We really encourage that. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, if you want to do something like this, there's a model and that exists in the United States through EL. It also now exists in the UK through XP and people are more than welcome to come and see what we do. So Andy, we've just had a little bit of a coffee break and 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 relating to what you were talking about just before we did have that break we're at the point where we're talking about expansion where we're talking about you were just talking about how happy you are to share things um and you're codifying your core practices in in a, in a bit of a, a book as well and for me like i speak to a lot of educators around the world you know this podcast has been going for almost six years now i speak to someone every month a world leader and there were very few times where i've thought that is a no-brainer. Like that is a no-brainer for schools to do. But for me, crew is just like, we should literally all be doing this. If we were all doing this, this would help so much with behaviour management. It would help so much with students feeling connected. It would significantly reduce suicide, youth suicide. If that was the only outcome, that would be phenomenal. So for me, like there's a huge question, which is like, how can this work be spread? How can more people do crew? How can more schools do crew plus expeditions. Where are you at with XP in terms of trying to codify this work and spread it a bit more broadly? Right. Okay. So you're absolutely right about crew. It's the most important thing we do. That's how we build our culture, as I said before. So we've made it, we've made a commitment. We've, we've kind of invested a lot of time over the past five, six years, just doing the work, adapting stuff from EL, trying out different different ways, different protocols, different practices that all align with our design principles and complement the character traits and the habits of work and learning. And I think now is the first time over the past couple of years, it was really a pandemic, I think, that was the catalyst for this. We kind of looked up a little bit more than we'd normally done and started to think, well, where, where next, really, with this? I can always remember Gwyn asking me, he said to me, it was in the second year of us being in the school and we were in the... I was in the dining hall. It was dinner time. Every dinner time I would spend with the kids and we were chatting and he said, Andy, where, where do you see this in five years time, this work that we're doing? And I said, well, I see it here 
as just a really great school because we wanted to get it right at XP first. Now we have, we expanded then because we wanted to show that you could scale up because our, we're deliberately sized. We, we are what some people would term a small school. We're not, we're deliberately sized. But we wanted to show that you could scale up. So we did that. We opened another school on the same campus. We then have worked with some local primaries as well who have expressed an interest in working with us and who aligned with us in terms of their values and they've come into the trust and and they're fully-fledged XP schools now, but primary schools. And I suppose that there are lots of different ways that you can grow. You can acquire more schools. That's one way that you can do it. My concern about that is then if you grow too big too fast, it then there's a risk that the integrity of the model is diminished. So I've never been a great kind of believer in we need to have 10 million schools and all that kind of stuff. Not really interested in that. But we can share our model. And I think that's really driven the work that we've done over the past 12 months and that we're continuing to do. So we are codifying our practice that will be available through our website digitally. We may well produce it as a book that we can also share and share within school and across the trust and and more widely. But we're also capturing that work digitally through real smart maps. So technology, as I mentioned before, is really important to us. So we want things in one place. One of the things that we've found, particularly with Google Docs and Google Apps, is that sometimes we've done some great work and written some great theoretical practice that's informed operational practice, but then it's kind of, it's iterated and then we've got, like, got three docs that are all talking about the same thing and nobody knows which one is the latest one. So we the real smart maps or smaps as we call them are going to be our the way that we can digitally capture the work that we're doing and again they'll be available for people to look at and use and share and all the rest of it so we're really committed to do, to doing that i think 5 years ago we were just doing the work and creating the stories and the narrative I think now we're ready to share that more widely and invite critique of it as well and, and improve that, that model and work with others to do that. But like I said, we are, we're more than happy to share the work that we do. And that's the next phase of our development, really. I mean, I've seen things happen and I thought, why has that happened like that? And then I've realised, oh, wait a minute, it's because we've never articulated that. There's not, you know, presentations of learning well, you know, I've gone to a presentation of learning. I thought hmm, that one that didn't really wasn't really as good as what we normally would do. And I think, well, why is that? Well, because people have not learned how to do it, or been exposed how to do it, or seen a model of how to do it. And so that's the work that we're involved with now. And uh, next year we're going to head up our professional learning is, is going to come through XP University, and so we are going to run really important workshops and courses that are around a program of the really important work we do. I mean, we're starting with crew because that's where you would start, right? But also the work that Gwyn's doing is on impactivity. And so working smart and we've done, we've done a lot of great work on that. And Gwyn, I'm sure we'll talk to you about that when you, when you speak to him. So yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at how we can more widely share the work that we do. And that's a really exciting thing for us 
to do that, to become part of the discourse in education, not just in the UK, but but more widely as well and and invite, like I say, you know, praise and notice and wonders. So we, we're really keen on, on that next phase of our work. Mm, that's so great. And, you know, there's, there's the call to action, listeners. If you're out there, you're leading a school, you're in a school, I really do think that this crew thing up at the very least, is is one of the most impactful thing a school, things a school could do. If you're in Australia and interested in um, doing this stuff, I'd love to hear from you. Maybe we can organise a delegation to come out or something and see it in action. Uh, or if you're in, the, you're in the UK or elsewhere, you know, all this, all this info is available online. A few kind of closing questions. What advice would you give to your first year teacher self? I think to capture what, what you do, really, because that's what we're doing now. <laughs> but I think just sticking to the integrity of the model, making sure that when you're meeting adults that you crew up, that you sit in a circle with nothing in between, that um, you ensure that the challenge is, is high but respectful in, in terms of getting expeditions over the line. I think for me that it would be it would be that protecting the integrity of the of the model and making sure that that be, then becomes systematic you know there's an expectation then that that is what happens because sometimes we've had to go back and reboot again and i think you still need to do that actually and there's nothing wrong with that i think there's something re- really useful about do it, about doing that the other thing that i would say as well is and again this is work that we've done recently is to focus on the purpose of what we were doing or and are doing, going back to purpose all of the time. We tend to spend a lot of time in education talking about the what, you know, this is what we do and this is how we do it. You know, so you look at the hows, well, I want you to do crew. So you need to do this, 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 and this. And that's that kind of expert leader. That's the kind of command from above and it doesn't work because if you haven't got the imperative from with it, it might work sometimes if people respect you or whatever, but when you leave, then it all goes to ruin. But if you've got an imperative from within, if you understand the purpose of what you are doing, how to do it and what it looks like, the impact of it, then I think that's much more, that's sustainability. And, you know, myself and Gwyn have always said, the greatest moment in our lives will be when we are redundant, when we're no longer needed here, you know, and uh, that'd be a great day. And I think we're getting close. I have to be really careful (laughs) about this. I might revise that statement, but that would show, wouldn't it, real sustainability. So the work is bigger than than ourselves. It's bigger than one person. It's really important work. It's noble work. And it's work that I believe kids deserve and kids from all backgrounds, but particularly kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, deserve to see themselves as they see themselves at XP. And, you know, we'll keep doing that for as long as there's a breath left in our bodies. (laughs) Love it, Andy. Uh, Three books that educators might like to read. Okay, well, the first one is it has got to be An Ethic of Excellence by Ron Berger. It's an absolutely beautiful book, beautifully written, beautifully crafted, as you would expect from Ron, who is an amazing, 
beautiful person who's had massive influence on us, not just on the work that we're doing, but on the kind of people that we are, that we aspire to be, that we try to be. So I would definitely, I would definitely recommend that. And then in any of the related books, actually from EL, if you're wanting a kind of uh, handbook of how to do things, Leaders of Their Own Learning, which was written by Ron and his some of his colleagues, Libby Woodfin at, at EL. That's a really great book just to look at how do you how do you construct learning targets? How do you do student-led assessment? How do you run a SLC? Really great, great. Well, that, that's codification, really, really good. And then I'd have to say, of course, how we XP, wouldn't I? I'm going to do a bit of shameless promotion. But I think that's a, it's an honest little book, that, really. It was a, a moment in time. We've moved on since then and we do things differently in some ways, but then in other ways, not differently at all. I think the core essence of that book kind of communicates what we're, what we're hoping and striving to do at XP. So they'd be my, they'd be my three. That's great. Any, any particular people to follow on, on Twitter or anything like that? Well, I'm not, I'm not a big social media person really. So uh, I, do, I have got a Twitter account and I do occasionally tweet, usually with a spelling mistake as well, which I find infuriating. And it's not, it's a typo, you know, it's my thumb's not very agile. But I mean, you know, I'd follow EL and iTech High and Ron and, Scott Hartle and people like that who are who are really, you know, at the vanguard of of change. Focus on those guys. Follow XP. Follow Gwyn as well. Gwyn's pretty good. Yeah, he's got a great he blog. A, he does a blog. Yeah, I really. It's really that. good. It's really challenging. So yeah, he's, he's a real deep thinker and a challenging thinker as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend him. You might you might find a bit of a lack of content if you follow me, but feel free if you want to. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Andy, any last calls to action, things you'd like listeners to go away today and do? Well, I think for me, it it would be that we're doing some great work here and I know that others are doing great work as well across the globe. And I think we've got to share that work and have an open discourse about the purpose of education and why, you know, you started with that question, right? So I'd really like, to discuss that and and show people what we do and look at what they do and how that impacts on on their kids as well. I don't think we're the answer. We have a model that is successful. But I think teaching is a really important profession, isn't it? You know? And I think there's there's a lot of di- false dichotomies in education that don't help and that people kind of positively encourage so that change doesn't happen and change for the better doesn't happen, you know, and, and I, th- I think we mentioned it in the book, but, you know, the kind of that, those, those kind of false dichotomies of traditional and progressive and skills and knowledge and those kind of things. And, it, and we know that it's the genius of the end, don't we, you know, and it's about finding common ground for me, but also holding on to what you what you believe in, what you truly believe in, and do it. I think one of the things for me, when I was coming back from High Tech High and I saw what they were doing as a school, and I think I said this to you yesterday in a conversation, Ollie, and I kind of sat on the plane and I thought, right, I can't go back now. I've seen that and not do something about it. Unfortunately, I had Gwyn to, to work. We worked together on realising this. 
I thought, you know, we can't go back and not do anything. We have to do something. It would have been easy to get off that plane and that imperative to have diminished over time. But we didn't allow that to happen. We did something. And that's why I'm sat here now. And so I think do it is what I would say. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today and your generosity in hosting myself and James Mannion and, and other guests yesterday. It's been an absolute pleasure to come and see your work and the work of the team here at XP. And what you've done is, what you've all done is really phenomenal and has really blown me away. And like I said, you know, this crew thing, expeditions, fantastic. But this crew thing, it sits at the heart of everything. Something in that, isn't it? There is something in that. And, um, you know, I don't often kind of reinforce the call to action of guests and I don't often say schools should do this, but really when it comes to crew, schools should do this. So get in touch with Andy, get in touch with XP, get in touch with me if you want to try to organise something in Australia around this because I'm really keen to be involved. You taught me a new word as well, purloined. Hadn't heard that one before, so it's good. (laughs) Sorry about that. It's it's great. I love learning new words. And, yeah, thank you so much for the incredible work you've done, Andy, and that I know you'll continue to do. Thank you. Great to meet you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ERRR podcast. If you're keen to never miss a podcast, a blog post, or other exciting educational announcement, then jump onto ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe for my weekly summary of key takeaways on all things teaching and learning. That web address for a weekly email summary, again, is ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share it with friends and colleagues. And if you've got any suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear on the ERRR podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you've got any questions, comments, thoughts, or reflections on this episode or any other ERRR episode, I always welcome contact from listeners via Twitter or email. Thanks for your time and listening today. Have a wonderful week. And until next time, keep learning. Bye.